Well, it's wonderful to see everyone giving a warm welcome. Once again, if I haven't met you, my name's Howard. Would you all take your Bibles and turn to the book of Job? It's in the middle of your Bible, right before Psalms. Turn to chapter 3. I hope when you walked in, if you didn't bring a Bible, you went ahead and took one. It's our gift to you. We love the, the, the Word of God. He speaks to us. Some people have said, we actually never read the Word. The Word of God reads us. And I would ask you before I read this, because we're going to be talking about lament, would you think in your own life to a loss that you've had? Maybe it was a friend. Maybe it was a, a, an animal, a pet that you loved. Maybe it was a, a job that you wanted. Maybe it was a relationship that didn't go you the direction. Think of that loss. Because the man we're going to read about lost in the same way. Out of respect for God's word, if you're able, would you please stand as we enter into the lament of Job in chapter 3? If you're one of our children here today or one of the, one of the kids or high schoolers, I'd encourage you. I wonder if you would count how many times Job says the word why? I'd love one of you to come up after the service and tell me if you would agree with me. If you're one of the kids, that's a very important word that Job says. Let's all read now together. Job chapter 3. After this, that's seven days of silence, Job opened his mouth and cursed the day of his birth. And Job said, let the day perish on which I was born. And the night that said, a man is conceived, let that day be darkness. May God above not seek it, nor light shine upon it. Let gloom and deep darkness claim it. Let clouds dwell upon it. Let the blackness of the day terrify it. That night, let thick darkness seize it. Let it not rejoice among the days of the year. Let it not come into the number of the months. Behold, let that night be barren. Let no joyful cry enter it. Let those curse it who curse the day, who are ready to rouse up Leviathan. Let the stars of its, of its dawn be dark. Let it hope for light, but have none, nor see the eyelids of the morning, because it did not shut the doors of my mother's womb, nor hide trouble from my eyes. Why did I not die at birth? Come out from the womb and expire. Why did the knees receive me, or why the breast that I should nurse? For then I would have lain down and been quiet. I would have slept. Then I would have been at rest with kings and counselors of the earth who rebuilt ruins for themselves, or with princes who had gold, who filled their houses with silver. Or why was I not as a hidden, stillborn child, as infants who never see the light, there the wicked cease from troubling, and there the weary are at rest. There our prisoners are at ease together. They hear not the voice of the taskmaster, the small and the greater there, and the slave is free from his master. Why is light given to him who is in misery, and life to the bitter in soul, who long for death, but it comes not, and dig for it more than for hidden treasures, who rejoice exceedingly and are glad when they find the grave? Why? Is light given to a man whose way is hidden, whom God has hedged in? For my sighing comes instead 
of my bread, and my groanings are poured out like water. For the thing that I fear comes upon me, and what I dread befalls me. I'm not at ease, nor am I quiet. I have no rest, but trouble comes. Would you pray with me? Father, I know that your word reads us. We struggle to lament. We often immediately distract to what's happy or what's something that can take our mind off the hurt. We need to follow you, Lord, and we need your Holy Spirit. Lord, would you open up a window for some, maybe even a door into the pain that they've experienced, but help us to see Jesus, our suffering Savior, and worship you. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Well, with your Bibles open, please be seated. When was the last time you had a good cry? Time Magazine in 2016 came out with an article, Why Do We Cry?, and talked to a lot of experts. Did you know that according to the average, women cry two to five times a month? Men cry one time every two months. Now, I've already, somebody saw this slide earlier, and I heard one woman say, I don't cry that often, but I heard another one say, I cry more often. These are not statistics. I had my quota. This week, I found out that Harry Reeder, who is a pastor that started a church in our area, and who's a minister that I was going to actually go and be on his staff, I heard that he drove into the back of a dump truck and died suddenly. I then heard that Tim Keller, another pastor, diagnosed with pancreatic cancer, died. I was in my office. I'm not going to say I shed a lot of tears, but it hit me. I think two men that love the Lord and love the Scriptures and have impacted me, they are now gone. They are with the Lord. And I I did. My eyes got a little wet, and a tear came down the cheek. When was the last time you had a good cry? What are the most common tear triggers, according to Time Magazine? Well, women and men agree on the top three. Number one, a tragic event. Number two, we often tear up at a funeral. And number three, usually from breakups. Maybe if you're younger, that's the last time you've had a good cry, as you hope that that initial relationship would stay together. Well, where do people cry? I found this interesting. 74% of us cry at home. We don't usually let this stuff out out in public. I was kind of hoping that it would say at church. It did not say that. I wonder, is church the place where we can learn to cry? What time do we cry? usually between 7 and 10 o'clock at night. Maybe the heavy hurts of the day finally catch up to us. And what's the emotional effect? 52% of people say that they actually feel a little bit better. Something the way the Lord has made us, even with the fall into sin, there is something good about crying. Crying is the language of lament. And lament is a unique word. It means to pour out your painful heart. Some of you have experienced small doses of suffering. 
Some of you, as I look around, have experienced large doses. Some of you have overdosed. And you're sitting here right now hurting. I can see as I look upon all of you that there are some people here with some real suffering credentials. Well, Job had them. He had heavy handfuls of hurt that were weighing on his heart. If you're not a Christian, let me let you in on a Christian secret. It's crying the wise, W-H-Y-S, that make us wise, W-I-S-E. Job is not a book about knowing about lament. It's knowing how to hurt. What's our title today? It's titled, What? Why? How? Maybe you think of life as a puzzle, and it's all going well, but then that missing puzzle piece, that dog you have paid a lot of money grooming and feeding for 15 years finally dies. Your dog's gone. Your job, your spouse, your health. Lament comes when the puzzle pieces of life are missing. We have an entire book of the Bible I can't wait to preach with Daryl someday called Lamentations. Have you heard of it? Listen to the beginning word. Lamentations. And we only have 66 of these books. There's a whole book that addresses this. And did you know that the first word in many of the Old Testament books give it the label? The first word of Lamentations in Hebrew is the word how. See, the city was destroyed, and they looked at this gorgeous city, and they said, how could the city be in ruins? If you're hurting, go to this book. We need to sit with Job today. We need to learn the know-how of lament, and he will shift in his pain. His voice will break. We will be uncomfortable, and even following this sermon today is going to be hard, but those of you that have felt the brokenness of life are a lot like Job. He picks up a piece of broken pottery and he's scraping himself. If you talk to someone who's really hurting, they don't talk in a straight line. They talk about the loss and then they go to this and then they pause. And if you want to follow someone who's lamenting, it's a lot like they're picking up a broken vase and saying, and then look at this, and then this happened. The Spirit's going to help us, though, follow Job as we learn lament. To follow along, we're going, to follow, we're going to look at this. What is lament? Why does Job lament? And how does Job's lament lead us to Jesus Christ? What is lament? Look at verse 3. After, Job, after this, Job opened his mouth and cursed the day of his birth, and Job said. Job does sit in silence, but he breaks the silence. He will speak 18 of the 42 chapters he will speak. He begins by cursing his birthday. A curse in Hebrew means it's so meaningless. We derive meaning usually from four things. My life has a purpose. Look, his career was over. All that he had was destroyed. We derive meaning from belonging. His 10 kids are gone. He was an international leader, and he's got nothing. He's not sitting at any big tables anymore. His friends have come to sit at a distance. 
We look for coherence. How does this fit together? We look for significance. How does this matter? He's cursing the day of his birth. He reminds me of in Fiddler on the Roof, of those who have seen uh, Tevier. He's lamenting one day, and he says, I know, I know we are your chosen people, but once in a while, can't you choose someone else? Now, was Tevier venting or lamenting? Because they are not the same thing. Lament is unrestrained sorrow, but it has a poetic form. Now, I don't want to lose you, and this is the part of the sermon where we'll feel mildly academic, but I want you to understand that biblical lament, lament for a Christian, is not venting. What is it? Well, there's five stages to the song, and if you look through the Psalms, the majority of our Psalms, that's the songbook of the Christian, are laments. They all have the same pattern. How do they begin? You'll know it's a lament if it starts with an outcry, a loud personal protest. Did you notice Job said, I curse the day of my birth? You've got to start by crying out. You don't keep it in, you verbalize because you say there's a right and there's a wrong in the world. And for Job, remember, he didn't sin. He has no idea why he just lost everything. And something's off, and he's going to say it out loud. He's going to get real. Number two, if it's a lament, you have to define the pain when you complain. Crying signals our vulnerability. It shows that we are unequipped to deal with our life. We cannot cope. So we have to define the complaint. Thirdly, there's a request. God can help me. It's not a lament if you vent and you don't turn to God. Our tears of lament are not just a symptom of sadness, but they signal that we're seeking a cure somewhere. Number four, you trust in the living God. It's not a lament if you whine, complain, get depressed, distract yourself, tell three people that you just hate things. That is not a lament. You must trust in God. God, this is off base. You can vindicate this. Do you trust God when you get into your troubles? God hears us when our tears flow. And lastly, a lament always has a commitment to worship the living God. Daryl and I have been struggling reading all of these poems saying, what's this book about? What's this book about? We know one thing. It's about worshiping God. Now, Job in this third chapter, we'll have to get all the way to the end because the whole thing has these lament sort of um, rhythm and arc to it. But the next time you experience deep hurt, do you walk through those? And you can read many of the Psalms, Psalm 22. Read, Read the Psalms of lament and you will see this. In lament, your reverence will recant your rant. What do I mean? By the time you get back to God and His strength and the suffering of the Son Jesus, you'll go, wow, did I really react hard when I initially cried out. And your ache will aim at adoration. Very important we learn this, the know-how of lament. In lament, the darkness of suffering is not the deepest reality. 
Think of a song. Oftentimes we enjoy singing a song and it starts off really good, but then it kind of goes off and you're waiting for the song to resolve itself back at the end. It's interesting how many people in our culture are watching the new album by Ed Sheeran. He came up with an album called Subtraction. I wonder if these songs are songs of lament or they're songs of just hurt inventing. Ed Sheeran lost a close friend. Most of his songs are pop songs. They're fun. But this is a very different album. He's got a song called Saltwater where he himself was thinking about ending his life. And he says in that song, it's all right to run from all this pain. Oh, and when it's time to go with one last breath that's in my lungs, I still will scream, it's all for love. Even our popular singers are trying to capture what do we do when we hurt? Lament is a sensing and a strengthening emotional experience in a telltale sign of a lament are rhetorical questions. Why? Why? When we say this out loud, it allows us to linger in that loss. Oh, it's not comfortable. But a rhetorical question requires resolution. So let's move from what is a lament out of that sort of more academic thinking it through to our second point. Why does Job lament? He gives two complaints that anchor and root his lament. I wonder if you saw them. The first one is, I've lost my rest. And secondly, I don't feel safe anymore. Can you relate to losing those two things? I've lost my sense of rest and I don't feel safe. Well, where do we see this in his lament? He uses the word for, F-O-R, in verse 13. And those of you that are new to studying the Bible, whenever you read the word for, circle it. The author is trying to slow you down and say there are reasons for everything. So Job, he's going left and right and cursing the day of his birth, but he goes for, and it helps all of us to say, ah, he's defining the complaint. He's going to really crystallize his, his pain. And in verse 13, he says, for then I would have lain down and been quiet if he was never born. I would have slept, then I would have been at rest. We can relate to this. Rest. I don't just want security. I want settled security. Rest. It's a stress-free, stress-free life. I don't want stress at work. I don't want stress in my neighborhood. I don't want stress in my marriage. And Job is saying, you want to know what the problem here with my life is? I got stress. I've got no rest. And he's hurting. Thornton Wilder is someone many of you possibly have not read, but he has written some amazing plays and some amazing books. Someone once asked him, what's the common thread through all that you do? And he said this. He says, in all my writings, I sought to answer one question. When a human being is made to bear more than a human being can bear, what then? This is the drama in most of our stories. This is the difficulty in most of our life is that we are carrying the hurts and our knees cannot hold them and we lament. Look at verse 17. He says, there the wicked cease from troubling. There the weary are at rest. Where is there? 
It's the place of death. For the Hebrew mind, it was called Sheol, S-H-E-O-L. You were a non-entity there. You were in the land of shadows. It was the grave. Well, what was his outcry as he seeks a remedy? He says, why? That word comes up, which is the word ma in Hebrew. And really in Hebrew, it has textures. It's what, why, how? He's going to ask God why 20 times in the entire book. How many whys does it take to make one wise? You know, he'll never get an answer to his question, but he will get a profound encounter with the living God. Look at verse 11. Why didn't I die at birth? Come out from the womb and expire. Look at verse 12. Why did the knees receive me or why the breast that I should nurse? He's saying, come on, God. Why not? Right when I was born, I just took my last breath. Why? I spent 21 years as an emergency department nurse, and I can remember a, a very nervous man rolling in his wife who was giving birth, and I would say, uh, kind of, where are we at? And he's like, oh, it's coming. And I would grab that lady, and I would get on that elevator, and I would get to the labor and delivery and push her and run. Because when that baby's coming, that baby's coming. And Job is saying, God, you had so many chances here. You could have just had me die before I came out. You could have had me die when I come out. And I want to slow down right now and just address a lot of you in here. One of the first deep aches in my life with my wife is when we lost our first two children when she miscarried. I read about pain. I learned about pain. But we hurt together. And when Job is saying, come on, God, you could have just had me miscarry, I get irritated at Job when he says that. But his life is so hard that he doesn't even want to be born. And if you in here have ever experienced a miscarriage or the loss of a child, it's very, very hard. It's one of the first times I screamed, why? Verse 16, he still, he still keeps going into this, and we have to go there with him. Why wasn't I just hidden, stillborn child, an infant who never saw the light? Let that day be darkness. May God above not seek it or a light shine upon it. He's basically saying, I know the Bible starts with let there be light. He is saying, let there be darkness. He is cursing creation, life. He's saying, God, rip my story out of your book. You ever do something on the computer and you want to delete it or on the calendar and it'll kind of say, are you sure you want to delete that in Outlook? And I always kind of pause and I'm like, that's going to take it off the calendar. That's what Job is saying about his life right now. He's saying, I want all occurrences out of the Outlook calendar of my life. My emotions demand that you, you erase my existence, God. This is how he says it in verse 6, poetically. That night, let thick darkness seize it, let it not rejoice among the days of the year. In fact, let it not come into the number of the months. Verse 5, let gloom and deep darkness claim it. Let clouds dwell upon it. Let the blackness of the day terrify it. He's saying, listen, I've just lost my kids. I've just lost my job. I am dying with this, with this disease. This, I'm falling apart. I'm not at rest. 
All my relationships are not at rest, and I've got a remedy. This is a lament. Here's the remedy, God. You could have killed me. You could have taken my life. He uses the word redemption. It's the word acclaim. God, why didn't you erase my existence? Verse 8, let those curse it who curse the day, who are ready to rouse up Leviathan. In that culture, when someone would die, the enchanters or those with words would come for mourning. And they would say really kind of strange curses. One of the curses is they would say, let Leviathan, which was like a dragon creature, something maybe a crocodile, but basically there were words back in that culture where they would say, we want this creature of chaos to come like a dragon throwing their wings around the sun and the moon to swallow the light. And he's like, come on, God, we have creatures in creation that you could have brought forward to just swallow the light of my life. Verse 9, let the stars of its dawn be dark. Let, let it hope for light, but have none, nor see the eyelids of the morning. The Hebrews would call the sun the eye of the day. And he's like, I don't even want the eyelids to open up on my day. Oh, this is very dark. I'm thankful for a man named Nicholas Walterstorff. He was a Christian. He lost his son in a mountain. Uh, he was mountain climbing. He wrote a book called Lament for His Son. His words help us when we think about the darkness that we enter in during lament. He says this, why are the photographs of him, my little boy, so incredibly hard to look at? Something's over. Now, instead of those shiny moments being things we can share together in delighted memories, I, the survivor, have to bear them alone. So it is with all my memories of him. They all lead into blackness. All I can do is remember him. I can't experience him. Nothing new can happen between us. I love that honesty. Nicholas Walterstorff says that grief is the existential testimony to the worth of the one you loved. That worth abides. So he says, I own my grief. I don't try to put it behind me. I don't try to get over it. Because every lament for a Christian is a love song. Job missed his kids. He missed the work he did. He missed having a body that functioned like it used to. And he's lamenting. Why the light, though? Verse 10, because it didn't shut the doors of my mother's womb. It didn't hide, circle this word, trouble from my eyes. Remember he wants rest? He wants what all of us want in America a trouble-free life. Don't bring me trouble. And see, his birth brought trouble to his life. Trouble. It's the Hebrew word amal. It means heavy, painful labor. Overwork. Everything you do requires elbow grease. Verse 20, why is light given to him who's in misery and life to the bitter in soul? And 21, who long for death, but it comes not. We dig for it more than hidden treasure who rejoice exceedingly and are glad when they find the, find the grave. So let's slow down a little bit. Clearly, Job wishes he never lived. Have you been there? Do you know someone that's been there? But remember, he's lamenting. So as we pause in his pain, this fatigue he's feeling is not futile. I love what Augustine said, who went through a lot of suffering. He said this, 
In, in tears there is rest. The tears stream down and I let them flow as freely as they would, making them a pillow for my heart. And on them I rested. He says this in the Confessions. In other words, you have to cry in order to get to that sense of rest. You ever just try to hold back your tears? I do when I'm, people are around me because I don't want to be embarrassed. You get kind of a headache, don't you? But if you're, if you're by yourself and you let it out, it almost becomes a pillow that you can rest on. Verse 23, why is light given to a man whose way is hidden, whom God has hedged in? Remember, he's feeling so restless. The walls are closing in. Suffering is suffocating him. There's no way out. I get the image of going to the zoo and seeing a lion. Have you ever gone there? And it's kind of amazing, but you're seeing this poor lion. Did you know that most lions in zoos suffer from something called zookosis? They're on antidepressants because they're living in a confined space, smelling the churros that are in the air, looking at these little human beings staring at them just right over there, and they're not meant to be there, and they pace back and forth, and they look like this. We as human beings, like Job, were never meant to live in a world of death, of destruction, of tragedy. And Job is saying out loud, I'm hedged in, I'm restless, I'm almost feeling like I've got this paranoia, this, this I'm just not doing well. We were not designed for disaster and destruction. And Job is screaming out, I was made for family and they're gone. I was made for health and it's gone. I was made for connection with other people, it's gone. And he screams out, I'm imprisoned in a cell of suffering. Only death can get me out of this dungeon. I might as well be dead. And then he transitions from I'm restless to I don't feel safe. Look at verse 25. For the thing I fear comes upon me and what I dread befalls me. You ever have in your life your worst nightmare and then it comes true? It happened to me a number of years ago. I, I just didn't want this thing to come true and I almost started to get mildly paranoid going, I think it's coming true and it came true. I'm so glad for his honesty here. He did his risk assessments, his security systems. He had health insurance. He was fit. He was on a good diet. He had a safety policies. He thought through procedures. But all of that was wiped away because in God's sovereignty, he was going to suffer. Look at verse 24, his emotional reaction. For my sighing comes instead of my bread, and my groanings are poured out like water. Hans Zoy is a grief researcher. He went to 37 countries, and he talked to 5,000 people who cry. And one of the main commonalities is people sigh. You'll know you're lamenting if you can't get the words, and all that can come out of you is your breath. And you sit there with your hands uh, covering your face, and you just sigh. My sighing comes. His groanings are pouring out like water. And words don't always come at first. It's the groans. It's the moans. And his crying crescendos in verse 26 as he laments both the loss of rest and safety. Look at verse 26. I'm not at ease. I'm not quiet. I've got no rest. My trouble comes 
trouble. That's a different word. It's a much more powerful word in Hebrew. It's the noise of a crash experienced in an earthquake. Have you read about the New Madrid earthquake in 1811? I did my doctoral work at St. Louis, Missouri, and I remember the Mississippi River. There was an earthquake of such significance that the bell in Charleston, North Carolina, Charleston, South Carolina, one of the bells in the churches was ringing. The Mississippi River, read about it, went the opposite direction. Job is saying, I've got so much trouble right now, and it's crashing. Now, it's interesting as we transition to our last part of this lament. Structural engineers after 1811 went to this New Madrid area, and they said, there's, there's no way if there's ever something bad again to get out because every bridge doesn't have structural integrity. But they found only one way out, and Job is going to lead us to Jesus. How does Job's lament lead us there? In Isaiah chapter 53, there was a prophecy that a suffering servant would come. Isaiah 53 verse 4 says this, Surely he has borne our griefs, he's carried our sorrows. Yet we have seen him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. And when Jesus comes on the scene, Hebrews picks up these words about Jesus Christ. In his anguish, he offered up prayers and supplications. How? With vehement cries and tears. He was in the garden, Matthew tells us, one of the biographies of Jesus, and he says, oh, my father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Here is Jesus, no rest, the heaviness of the sin of you and I is upon him. With painful labor, he's crying out, and we know his words on the cross. He cries out in a loud voice saying, my God, my God, what word does he use? Why? Why? Why have you forsaken me? But rather than a sigh of hopelessness on that cross, Christ cried into your hands. The lament's turning. Into your hands I commit my spirit. He's breathing out into the hands of the Father. Oh, he suffered death, and death is an enemy. But death is a conquered enemy. Jesus tore death out of the calendar that day when he rose again. Jesus deleted death for everyone who beholds his beauty and believes. As Jesus rose and started to breathe again, the very fabric of the universe started to mend again. Deep rest and everlasting safety would be sent out by the disciples and preached so you're hearing it even today. And this is why you no longer have to submit to the sovereignty of your suffering because you've already submitted to the sovereignty of God who sent Jesus to suffer for you. And he gets it when you hurt. Walter Starff helps us again. 
He says this in his book, Lament for a Son. God's not only the God of the sufferers, but the God who suffers. Instead of explaining our suffering, God shares it. How do we find rest? Because we can't generate that. Not our biology, not our biography. It will not bear the burden. But if you behold Jesus Christ, He's the door out of your prison of pain. And God takes us to painful places we never would have chosen to take us to new places with Jesus you will never want to leave. That thing in my own life that I just was like, please, God, never let it happen. I used to hear older people say, you'll appreciate those times. And I used to go, you have no, 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 no. But I will tell you with my, all, my, all my belief that the gift God gave me when I lost, but I didn't want to lose. Jesus is there with me in that. And my connection to Jesus is deeper than it's ever been. We have to trust this. C.S. Lewis wrote this kind of strange book called Screwtape Letters where he's telling a senior demon is giving these words to like a junior, the trade secrets to a trainee. And C.S. Lewis is just trying to bring up some of these deep things of life. And he says this in his book about holding on to God even when you're hurting and lament. Listen to what he says. He says, be not deceived, Wormwood. Our cause is never more in jeopardy than when a human no longer desiring but still intending to do our enemy's will looks around upon the universe in which every trace of him seems to have vanished and asks why he has been forsaken and still obeys. I end with one more short quote from Nicholas Walterstorff because he's been there. He says this, He says, I shall look at the world through tears, but perhaps I shall see things that dry-eyed I would have never seen. Would you pray with me? Lord, I know that this lament of Job goes all over the place, and it's really dark. Lord, I know that for those that you've gathered today, this stirs pain in us, and we don't like that. But Lord, we do believe that this is a book that you gave us so that we can live with wisdom. We know how to live now when we hurt so deeply. Help us to be a church that comforts others. Lord, I I pray that we would be a church that don't cry at eight o'clock at home by ourselves, but we cry with each other. Maybe even today, the tears we were able to shed because we sat with Job We looked upon your son Jesus as he cried out, why? Oh, help us to lament. We are not good at this, Lord. Lord, as we now enter into a time of confession and a time of singing some laments, help us, Lord, even to start maybe saying some of the words. It might take years for us as a new church to practice lament well, but let this be our gift to our community. Thank you for Jesus Christ. He gets us. In his name we pray, amen.